Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the way that you take care of us. We thank you that you're the one who gives us the power to gain wealth and that wealth that comes from you is not mixed with sorrows. Thank you, Lord, that you watch over us and we acknowledge that every blessing that we have comes from you, that you are faithful to us and we want to be faithful too. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. Ushers, you can receive the tithes and the offerings. I also want to invite everyone to join in our own egg after services. We'll be going next door to our Shalom Center, and we'll be having an own egg, a bagel own egg, and also a birthday cake time. So uh, prepare to load on the carbs. Before we begin our Torah study, let's pray together. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. It's good to use the month of Elul to examine ourselves and to prepare for the high holidays. And this week's Torah portion gives us some helpful guidance, I think, about what kind of person God hopes that we will become. And I want to focus on six qualities that the Lord hopes that we take to heart. And I'll, I'll tell you them and we'll, we'll look carefully at them. Generosity, he wants us to be generous people. Justice, he wants us to be people who are just. Charity, he wants us to be charitable. Empathetic, that's an important thing that God wants to develop in us. Compassion, he wants us to be compassionate. And then stewards, he wants us to be good stewards of what he has given to us. And as we study this Shabbat, let's look for the teachings that express some of these characteristics. And the first passage that we're going to look at was given to the children of Israel before they went into the promised land, but it had specific application for the agricultural life that they would have once they were in the promised land. And though it applied to agricultural life and society, I think that there are some lessons that we can apply to our modern life. So you can turn to Deuteronomy chapter 24, and we'll read a few verses starting in verse 19. And you can notice that this is about agricultural life. When you reap your harvest in your field, and you forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the stranger, the immigrant, the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. And when it says fatherless, it doesn't mean people who, who never had a father. It's people who became fatherless, who became orphans. And the widow, the one who was married and lost her spouse. It says to leave some of the harvest for those folks, for those people in need, and 
to let it be a blessing to them. Don't go back and get it all for yourself. And then it makes this promise, do this so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. It's an interesting idea that leaving some for others in need will actually be connected to the Lord blessing us in what we do. So that when we have less, we actually have more. Verse 20, when you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over the boughs again. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not glean it afterward. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. So these are more examples of leaving some of the harvest for those in need and more ways to provide for those in need. And then verse 22 is, is I think, very powerful. And you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and that's why I'm giving you these laws. So there is a call to remember, to remember that you were a slave, but that's an interesting detail, I think, because those who would actually go into the promised land had not been slaves in Egypt. They were born in the wilderness. The generation that came out of Egypt didn't go into the promised land. They were a transitional generation. And so it says, to remember you were slaves, but it was their families that came out of, G of Egypt. Their families had been slaves. And yet there's a powerful lesson here that we are to consider it as if we had been slaves. It's a special point of view, I think, that has been nurtured in the Jewish people to say we were slaves and the Lord brought us out of slavery. And that's different than saying they were slaves and the Lord brought them out. We connect our hearts and our faith and our way of life to our history with God and we keep it personal. And so I'm gonna give you a little practice session. Smile at the person sitting next to you and say with them, we were slaves, we were slaves. I think it helps us develop chazon, that's Hebrew for vision. When we remember we were slaves in Egypt, it helps us take responsibility to become people who will be free and generous and just and charitable and empathetic and compassionate and good stewards. That's how the Lord puts it. Make sure that in your fields there's food left for those in need. Why? Because you were slaves. That's why. You were slaves. And there is always a danger in saying, well, I wasn't a slave. And that's why the Jewish people teach our generations to say, we were slaves. We were slaves. I think in this very short reading, we can see that God cares about the poor and the needy. He cares about the immigrant. He cares about the orphan. He cares about the widow. And he wants to develop compassion through empathy. We were slaves in Egypt. That requires empathy. 
we have to say, oh, my parents were slaves. That generation had to say, I was a slave because my parents were slaves. And everyone who has ever experienced true persecution and loss of life and and freedom in their families knows that the trauma of that can be passed down from generation to generation. And so the healing needs to touch generation after generation. That takes empathy and that takes compassion. We were slaves in Egypt. We were slaves. So we have to learn from that experience and we have to actively remember it and make it our own We take these matters to heart. And this idea of empathy and compassion coming through empathy, I think is something Yeshua was talking about in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. He says, whatever you want people to do to you, you do to them. And then he says, because this is Torah and the prophets. This is the scriptures. He wants us to learn to use empathy to empower us. And Yeshua says, that's Torah. That's the prophets. And I think he sees it throughout the Torah. Just like we're reading today from Deuteronomy, it's teaching us to be empathetic and to be compassionate and to take the hardships of our own past and our own experiences and use those to make our hearts tender on behalf of those in need around us. The Hebrew word for righteousness is tzedakah. Can you say that with me? Tzedakah. And tzedakah is sometimes only translated righteousness, but it actually combines three ideas. It's righteousness, it's justice, and it's charity. Those are three elements of meaning for the word tzedakah. Righteousness, justice, charity. I want to ask a question about that passage in Deuteronomy. What gives the right? What gives the right to the Lord? What gives the Lord the right to tell us what to do with our personal property? I mean, I'm speaking to Americans here. We're American, right? What gives him the right to tell? It's our property, right? Of course, this was written to Israel, so we can say, well, it doesn't apply to us. But let's, let's just imagine that we were the generation hearing this and we were the generation going into the promised land. We weren't Americans. We were the children of Israel. And we have to think about this. What, What gives the Lord the right to tell us what to do with our property? It's our property, right? And it is. I'm going to tell you something. It is our property. But the children of Israel were also being taught that they were stewards of private property. And in a very real sense, they were being taught to recognize that our king and our master, our Lord, has ultimate ownership and authority 
over all that we have. Let's say the word all. It's a, it's a hard word, isn't it? All. All that we have. Our wealth, our resources, our time, our heart, our mind. The Lord has a claim on all that we have and all that we are. One of the reasons he has that claim is because he's our creator. And so in a way, we're like a pot of clay and he's the potter, he created us. That's one way of looking at it. But I want to give another way of looking at it. It has to do with the covenant that God has made with us. And I think it's important for us to understand that we enter into this agreement freely with the Lord. We exercise our free will it is part of his covenant with us. He wants us to freely enter into a covenant with him. He wants us to choose to be in covenant with him. And that requires autonomy. He doesn't just force it upon us. He invites us into the covenant. And so we enter that covenant with our own free will. We confirm our participation. We open our hearts to him. We choose this covenant. Now, Jewish baby boys are brought into the covenant with Brit Milah, the covenant of circumcision. And that is not a decision that an eight-day-old boy makes for himself. That is a decision of his parents. But then there's another circumcision, the circumcision of the heart. And that is a decision that each of us has to choose for ourselves. And so we choose the circumcision of the heart. We choose to draw close to the Lord and to Seek the Lord so that our hearts can be circumcised and can be tender before him. That's not something anybody else can do apart from you. People can lead you into that, but they can't do it for you. And so for Jewish men who as baby boys were brought into the covenant, there's yet another aspect that requires confirmation, that requires that we choose to circumcise our hearts. And of course, when we talk about circumcising the heart, we're talking about something that is spiritual. So it is not a uh, medical procedure. Just trying to be clear. So it's not like, okay, you need to make an appointment with a cardiologist. It's not that. It's you make an appointment with the Spirit of God. Amen. And you say, Lord, I want to be tender to you. And you take seriously what Yeshua said are the greatest commandments, the greatest ones, the first. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. Soul, strength, mind, all that you are. Second, love your neighbor as yourself. 
You'll notice that Yeshua didn't shrug his shoulders and say, commandments, you know, why are you worried about commandments? No, he answered straight. And he said, here's number one. Here's the first one, the greatest one. It's to love God. And that's a commandment, to love him. It's not a suggestion. It's not an option. And it's really, it's, it's, uh, it's thought-provoking. How can God command us to love him? And it's done in a certain way. It forces us to ask, ask ourselves, do I want to love him? And then we realize love requires freedom of will, free will and choice, right? That's the nature of love. Why can we choose to do things that are loving or not loving? Because we have that freedom. Why can we choose to love God? Because we have that freedom. And the freedom to love him means the freedom not to love him. Why is there room for evil in this world? One of the answers is because there is room for love in this world. And if there wasn't room for that, we would all be puppets and automatons, but it wouldn't be love. It would be something else. So this teaching from Deuteronomy about leaving harvest in the fields, it can be really useful to us even now when we learn to take such matters into our hearts. And we keep our hearts open. And we realize that our love for God unites together with our love for people. And that unity helps us remember we are stewards. We are accountable to God. We're doing what is good in his eyes. We're trusting him, we're serving him, we're serving his purposes and his priorities. Yeshua told parables and stories about vineyards as an example, a vineyard that was rented out to some people and the owner went away. And then after a while, he sent one of his stewards to come and collect the rent. And the people who were working the property thought it was their own. They said, we're not going to pay the rent. They refused. And so he then sent his son, and they beat his son rather than paying the rent. And then Yeshua asked this question, so what do you think the owner is going to do? And what was clear is the owner is going to get the rent. It's his property, right? He's not just going to ignore it. And so Yeshua says, yeah, and in the same way, some of, of you are going to lose what you had because it was given to you to take care of, but you treated it in the wrong way like it didn't belong to the owner. It belonged to you. Serious stuff. Everything and anything of value that we have has come from the Lord. That's what we are saying to him. And we're saying we are his stewards. A steward is someone who acts on behalf of the one who actually owns. 
Paul teaches the Corinthians an important idea about how to use what we have for the good of others, but it's not about agriculture or material things. It extends even to other kinds of blessings that God gives us personally during our times of need. So you can turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, which is filled with just so many great ideas. It starts, grace and peace to you. Anybody in favor of receiving grace and peace? To you, from God our Father and the Lord Yeshua the Messiah. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. Let's say that. The Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. Verse 4, who comforts us in all our troubles. So that, so that, say that with me, so that. Every so that in the Bible is important because what follows gives us understanding of the purpose and the reason and the outcome. So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves have received from God. So the God of all comfort comforts us so that we can receive comfort. And so we receive it, it's ours. But what do we do with it? We share it as well. And we comfort others. So we don't hold on to it. We don't have that um, zero-sum game, you know that? Or the idea that there's one piece of, there's one pie, and if you start sharing the pie, your pieces get smaller and smaller. It's different. It's, it's been compared to the light of a candle. You can take another candle that has a wick but is not burning, and you can touch it to the burning candle, and it will pick up a flame, and it will have light as well. And so the light multiplies. And that's the nature of the things that God gives us, that they multiply and they increase when we share them with others. And that's the case with comfort. Comfort that we experience actually gets stronger in us when we share it with others who need comfort. Our experience of comfort becomes more potent because it touches and heals us even more deeply than we could have imagined when we start bringing comfort to other people who are in need of healing. So it works with olive trees, it works with grapevines, it works with wheat and barley in the fields. When we share those things, it's a blessing to the people who get it and to us. Now, I find this construction, the father of compassion, to be particularly interesting because in Hebrew, father means father. It's not neutral. 
It means father. It's not neuter, it's father. It's not gender blurred, if you will, <laughs> for fun. Father, it means father. Now here's what's interesting. Compassion in Hebrew is from the word rachem. And rachem is formed from the, the word in Hebrew for womb. And so compassion specifically is the devotion and love which a woman has for the child in her womb. So that's why it's an interesting construct, that God is a father, but he can feel compassion, and he can act compassionately. He's still a father, but he can, he has in his heart the love that a mother has for her child before it's even born. He has that. Now that tells you something about God's fatherhood. It, it tells you this, that his fatherly love contains so much love that it's even carried by a woman when she's pregnant. She has that love. Where did she get it from? We all know it's natural for a mother to, to love her, her baby as it's developing and to have great hopes and dreams for that child as the child is developing. But what I want to tell you is, all love comes from somewhere. All love. A father's love comes from somewhere. A mother's love comes from somewhere. Where does it come from? It comes from the Lord. Because God is love. And we love because he loved us first. So the reason I find that Construction, interesting, is because it's complicated. A father has the compassion of a mother, but he's still a father. He doesn't give up his fatherhood. That's complicated. Especially in, in the modern world where everybody is aware of the tendencies to blur everything and to strip away from reality our awareness that um, mothers are special, fathers are special. God of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles. You know what that means? We have troubles. Who can confirm that? We have troubles. Anybody here have any troubles? And yet he's with us in all our troubles. I remember many decades ago, I was going through a particularly difficult time. And I was in my office and I was listening to a, a worship song that said, my help comes from the maker of heaven and earth. And I was singing that. And the Holy Spirit spoke to my spirit and said, you don't believe that. 
And I thought, well, I think I do. And the Spirit of God was saying to me, no, you don't believe that. And so I did what I often do in such situations with the Lord. I, I pray this one word prayer. What? What? What do you mean? What? What? And what he showed me is, I believe that the Lord could help me when the adversary was attacking. I did believe that. And I believe the Lord could help me when other people were attacking. But I felt if I was the one who was the source of my own problem, that was my guilt and it was on my shoulders. Some of you can relate to this. If you know, oh, I could have avoided this if only. Have you ever had that recognition? If only I. And sometimes we don't think that the maker of heaven and earth can help us if we had some part in a matter. Because we don't really believe he can help us. That was my case. In all our troubles. In all our troubles. He comforts us. One of the names of the Holy Spirit is the comforter. We experience God's comfort. We can comfort those in trouble with the comfort we have received. So you know what that means? We become stewards yet again of comfort. God gives us comfort. We are stewards of that comfort. We receive it for ourselves. Has anybody here ever been comforted by the Lord? And you've received real comfort from him. then we can also share that comfort with other people. The comfort God gives us is what we give to others. It's just like the harvest that the Lord gives us, we share with others in need. Now there's one more passage in here I wanna look at because it contains one of my favorite ideas in all of Torah. It's got a reference to this I think important but obscure idea. And if you know me very well, or if you've hung around with us for any length of time, you've heard this word many times, but not everybody has. It's the word hafuch. Say that with me, hafuch. And the concept is expressed in this week's reading through the form of the Hebrew word hafach, but my favorite form of the word is hafuch. And Sandy and I learned that form of the word decades ago when we were at a uh, cafe in Jerusalem and we were trying to order a cappuccino and they did not understand the word cappuccino. It was a long time ago. And so after we somehow negotiated some understanding, the the woman who was serving us told us how to correctly order it in Israel. And it's to order cafe hafuch, upside down coffee. <laughs> or coffee that's flipped. And that word hafuch, upside down or flipped or overturned is expressed in one of the passages in this week's Torah por portion. So go to Deuteronomy 23. Just gonna Quickly look at this so you can see it. It says, starting in verse uh, three in the English, 
No Ammonite or Moabite may enter the congregation, nor may any of his descendants down to the 10th generation ever enter the congregation of the Lord, because they did not supply you with food and water when you were on the road after leaving Egypt. And because they hired Balaam, Balaam, the son of Baor from Petorin Aram Naharaim, to put a curse on you. But Adonai your God would not listen to Balaam, rather Adonai your God turned or overturned, it's, it's the Hebrew word yafoch. He flipped it upside down, he overturned the curse and flipped it into a blessing for you because Adonai your God loved you. And so the Lord turned the curse upside down. He overturned it. He flipped it. It became a blessing instead. And I love this idea that God can overturn or flip things. Something that is meant for evil can be overturned. Something done with evil intentions and evil purposes can be overturned. Evil plans can be flipped. And God can take even difficulty and adversity and bleak situations, even calamity, and he can bring good out of it. Though the thing itself wasn't good, God can flip it and bring good out of it. And not only that, God can work in ways that are absolutely unthinkable and unimaginable, impossible, and even unpopular. He can take a barren couple long past the age of childbirth and the prime of life, like he did with Abraham and Sarah, and he can use them to bring forth a covenant son and a covenant tribe in order to bring forth a covenant people. The Lord can take a slave nation like he did with the children of Israel in Egypt, and he can use them to show his might and his power to set free. He can take a sick person or a blind person or a person with no sense of hope or a future, and he can turn everything upside down, which actually turns things right side up, and then he can bring glory to himself and joy to everyone who serves him. This idea is contained in that familiar statement. It's not from the Bible, but we've all heard it. The Lord works in mysterious ways. He does work in surprising ways. He, he uses the weak to reveal his strength. So if you're ever aware of your own weakness and the insufficiency of your strength in a situation, that's an opportunity that God can do some hafuch work. He can turn it upside down and you can say, Lord, I'm weak, but you're strong. He can use the few to show his great power. Joseph saw this. He said to his brothers, you sold me into slavery. What you meant for evil... God turned into a great deliverance. Even the coming of Yeshua, God taking on human form, God cloaking himself in a human body, that also is hafuch. It's not what people expected. It's not what people imagined. The suffering of Messiah, the death, burial, and resurrection, it's another example of hafuch. Even Yeshua's disciples 
couldn't see that clearly. They wanted victory without suffering. But God turned all the evil intentions and plans upside down. He flipped them. And through the resurrection, God overturned and defeated the power of sin and death. He took on death and sin so that we could be redeemed from both. And when we have eyes to see and ears to hear, then our hearts become able to understand. We're changed. And I want to tell you this, whatever your situation may be, I want you to know this, God can turn it upside down in order to set it right side up. He causes all things to work together for good, for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And when it says his purpose, all those so that's come into play. Everything that God wants to accomplish, so that, everything he tells us to do that's got a so that in it, those are purposes that God has. And he can make the whole universe work together for good. We're not going to take the time today to read Isaiah 54, our Haftorah, but it speaks of this too when it speaks to the barren woman and the forsaken one and, and tells her, you're going to have more kids than you could imagine. Stretch forth your tent, tent stakes. Don't be afraid. You won't be ashamed. God turns impossible situations into blessings. So it's another example of hafuch. All around us are people who are crying in prayer for comfort. Someone has lost a husband or a wife. Someone else has lost a son or a daughter. Someone has lost a mother or a father or a grandfather or a grandmother or a brother or a sister. And they're bringing their sorrow to the Lord and they're crying to him for comfort. And I want to tell you something. When God puts it on your heart to show kindness to someone who is in mourning, then you become an answer to their prayers. A kind word that you bring, or some food to share, or a quiet visit, that all works together so that the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort can bring comfort to those who are in sorrow right now. What's today? What's the day today? It's August 26th, Saturday. It was on a Saturday in 1960. It was August 27th, that Saturday. 63 years ago, it became known as Axe Handle Saturday. And some peaceful young blacks, mainly young men, were engaged in a peaceful, nonviolent sit-in in Hemming Park, which has now been renamed James Weldon Johnson Park in downtown Jacksonville. It's a place familiar to all of us. But it was on that day that axe-wielding racists 
came. They came with axe handles to beat those mainly young black men with axe handles. And I think today's a good day to pray for comfort for all those who still carry sorrow from those times. Let's pray. Father of compassion and God of all comfort, bring healing to our people, our brothers and our sisters. And use us, Lord, to comfort others with the comfort that we have received. We pray this in Yeshua's name. Amen. We're going to close now with Aaron's blessing. Would you please rise? And for those of you who are participating on live stream, would you consider standing with us financially? You can find out all the information on our webpage, bethisraelnow.com slash giving. Let's close with Aaron's blessing. Shalom. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace in the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace.